speaker for this morning. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we want to quieten our hearts and thoughts because there's a storm in there. A lot of distraction, a lot of things unattended need our attention. But if we're going to gain from you this morning, our Father in heaven, we need to be willing to just suspend everything else and listen in. Because God is not in the drama. He's not in the storm. He's not in the fire. He's not in the earthquake. He's in the still small voice. We need to calm down. Lower our heart rate. Get physically comfortable in our chairs. And poise ourselves to receive from you. To tell our bodies to excuse us for a bit, we need to give spiritual attention to our spirit. Tell our minds to take a break and to focus in on what God is saying to me today. And to end today with a decision, with a discipline, with something to do in obedience to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm excited about the book of James because I've entitled this book or the series James the Brother. James the Brother. Because James has got a very different take on the entire thing. I mean, think about the disciples, right? All the disciples came to Jesus as he called them, follow me, follow me, follow me. He came to, he, they came to him when he was already authorized. You know, God the Father had spoken, the Holy Spirit had come down, his ministry, Jesus Christ International Ministries had already started. You know, so these guys came in saying, okay, we are going to hang with this man. We're going to become somebody with, a, I want to be on his left. I want to be on his right. The other, yeah. They, were, they, they came in that way. So they were already, yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir. Okay, but James grew up with Jesus. He was the first of the, first half brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he saw Jesus at seven, he saw Jesus at 12, he saw Jesus at 15. They went through teenage, he, he saw that. You know, he saw the whole rumble and tumble in the home. You know, Joseph coming running in with the nail gone through his thing. His, his finger, all the screaming and shouting and all the gullies and everything. He grew up with that. And did you know that James didn't actually believe? For years and years he didn't believe. I mean, isn't that weird having a family member that doesn't believe? Odd one that, huh? And, and, and what about James? To believe that my brother is God? Yeah? We are pretty sure about the opposite. I can tell you my brother's not God. I tell you who he is. You know what? Are you with me? Everyone with me? Okay. So James has got a different take on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what really interests me. It's very practical. It's very real. It's very everyday. So I want to dive in with that lens and try and look at James for you that way. All right. The second thing we want to talk about essentially is how James is wanting you to make sure that your faith is strong. Make sure that your faith is strong because your faith is going to give you what God wants to get you. Your faith is going to give you what God wants to get you. Note this down. Joy is lost. Joy is lost. Faith is lost. Joy is lost when we lose our focus. Joy is lost when we lose our focus. 
Because joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Remember that? Joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Joy is lost when we lose our focus. Because joy is a focus before it's a feeling. Faith is lost. Faith is lost when we lose our focus. Faith is lost when we lose our focus. Because you don't just lose your faith. Write that down and listen to me. You don't just lose your faith. No. Complete the sentence for me. Faith is lost when you lose your focus. So faith doesn't just disappear overnight. You didn't just become someone who struggled with doubt and faith overnight. When you took your focus off the word, off the truth, off the Lord Jesus, and you started placing it on something else or someone else, that focus, that fixatedness, that, you know, rehearsing of, of, of what will happen. Why does he love me? Does he not love me? Is he going to come back? Or is he not going to, is he going to call? Is this going to happen? Is this, is it, am I going to get it? Am I not going to get it? Whatever it is, as you fixate on it, your faith turns to that thing. Your faith turns to that thing. So faith wanes. Faith fades. Faith disappears as you take your focus off. And as you take your focus off and faith wanes, along with it, joy wanes. If you're going to be joyful in the Lord, if you're going to guard your joy, if you're going to make sure that the, your inheritance, your birthright, every believer's birthright, which is joy, that you go through every period of your life, the most difficult circumstances, the betrayals, the, the abandonment, whatever you have ever gone through, even personal traumas of being abused or, 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 or losing a child, however bad, joy must always last. Happiness may not always be there, but joy, that is the strength of a believer. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It's not the other way around. It's not opposite. It's not the strength of the Lord is my joy. It's the joy of the Lord is my strength. What gets me up and out of bed what makes me face my endless valley experiences is the joy of the Lord. It is both my strength, it is my testimony. So faith doesn't, doesn't just disappear, disappear overnight. You begin to grow in your trust in that person or that thing. Your faith then wanes. So God wants, God wants, God desires, God makes your short life with all of its problems and hassles and everything. He makes your short life count forever, matter forever significant forever how by commanding us to live by faith by commanding us to live by faith but what does that mean such a cliche in a church sunday morning live by faith what does it mean what does it mean to live by faith let me throw a couple of things at you number one it means living this life in the light of eternity living this life in the light of eternity it means i choose my relationships based on what it's going to get me for eternity. I make my decisions based on whether it's going to affect my eternity. Uh, all of them affect my eternity. How good it's going to affect my eternity. I allow people into my life. I allow decisions. I allow them to impact, to influence me based on whether it's going to affect my eternal life and testimony and joy. Everything I do, allow into my life, I do it based on that. I get up in the morning because I'm going to live forever. I live through the day because I'm going to live forever. I am joyful because today is not it. Today is not all there is. There is forever. And I set my sight on tomorrow. The second thing you do, or another way of looking at how to live by faith is this. You live for tomorrow by trusting God today. You live for tomorrow by trusting God today. How do you do that? 
You trust God today that your wallet's empty. You trust God. You don't freak out. You don't lose your cool. You don't get worried. You don't get anxious. You don't get bitter. You don't get distant from people. All of those things come from when you get worried, when you are worried about today. You take today and its emptiness. You take today and its problems. You take today and its stresses. You take today and its anxieties. And you trust today in the hands of God. And God focuses you on tomorrow. He says, don't worry about today. Today is going to end tonight. But forever is morning all the time. God is that light in heaven. And there will always forever be the joy of the Lord. Just, I want you to get this. I want you to get how temporal my life is. But God makes my temporal life count for eternity. If I live this temporal life in faith. Did you get that so far? The way you live this temporal short life in faith is how your eternity is going to turn on. God wants that. God wants that. Living for tomorrow by trusting God for today. It's a different way of thinking. It's a different operating system. It's a different engine. It's a whole different way of thinking. It's as different as not between two cars, but between driving, between flying a plane, and between sailing the seas. When you're driving, your eyes are on the road, and on the cow, and on the guy who's coming in from the left and the right, and the guy who's overtaking you from the left. And your, your eyes on the road and it's all problems. I, I've got to be, make sure I don't want to get into any trouble. I don't want to hit, and, hit anything. I need to be safe. And your eyes are on the road. You're on the ground. You're involved with everything that... Are you getting me? Uh, that's driving. But when you're dri- flying a plane, your eyes are on the dashboard. Last week we talked about the gyro. Your eyes are on the dashboard. You're reading the signs and you're believing the dashboard and you're flying the plane based on the dashboard, on the facts, not the feelings, the facts that are coming to you. Okay, that's flying a plane. But when you're at sea, hmm, when you're at sea, (laughs) you are lost. You cannot do anything with the sea. You are out of control. So your eyes are on the compass. And your sails are set to the winds. Your eyes are on the compass. And your sails are set to the winds. You are dependent on the wave. The wave carries you or the wind carries you. And you work your way to allow the winds to carry you. And you trust that winds that where it's taking you based on your compass is where God would have you go. Living by faith. Living by faith. Not by sight. But by faith. Last time we talked about how faith must be tested. It must be tested because it gives us endurance, elasticity, stamina, stretchability, stickability. Today we want to receive encouragement from God. As he gives us a glimpse of tomorrow and says, not only do I give you endurance for today, I give you a sight of tomorrow. I give you a hope for tomorrow so that you can confidently get through today. Are you ready? 
Okay, let me give you four ways Paul, uh, uh, James says, four ways James says God makes our short life count. Okay, he makes it short life count when we maintain our joy by keeping our mind off money. Write that down. We maintain our joy by keeping our mind off money. Believe it or not, this is the toughest thing to do. Because every morning HDFC uh, texts me telling me how much I don't have. It's the toughest thing to do. We maintain our joy by keeping our mind off money. Please look at the scriptures. Verse 9, picking up off from last time, verse 8, where we finished off. Verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. Are you reading this with me? For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flowers fail, its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man will also fade away in his pursuits. He talks to two sets of people. He talks to rich people, rich man, and poor man. He talks to rich man and poor man. To the, to the poor man, he says, look at this. To the poor man, he says, instead of focusing on your poverty, focus on your spiritual wealth. Instead of focusing on your poverty, focus on your spiritual wealth. Do you know that poor people are fixated on money? That's not why they're poor, but they're fixated on money. You know what rich people are fixated on? Money. So rich people are fixated on money, poor people are fixated on money. James is talking to both people, says, both of you get your mind off money. Because the poor person will be like, I don't have any money. No, 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 you are, you are constantly looking at his money. You're constantly looking at his money. You're constantly looking at what you don't have. What should have been yours. What could have been yours. Are you with me? So James is saying, you want to maintain your joy. You want to be strong. You don't want to fail at faith tests, faith trials. Then you got to get, get your mind off money. Because money is going to warp your focus. It's going to warp your focus. It's one of those things that takes my attention away from God and onto itself. To the poor man, he says, instead of focusing on poverty, focus on your spiritual health, wealth, who you are in Christ, whose you are in Christ, who God has called you to reach, what faith has given you through your scarcity, how God has lifted you, guided you, revealed to you, how God has enriched your life with meaning and purpose, how God has lifted you up, how God has made you rich. Don't aspire to be like that rich guy. Don't compare your life to him. So he talks to the poor guy. He says, get your mind off the money. To the rich man, he says, instead of resting on your bank statements, instead of resting on your bank statements, rejoice in the circumstances that have humbled you. Rejoice in the circumstances that have humbled you. You look at your bank statement, you're pretty well off. You're great. You're happy. You got enough to cover all the EMIs, to cover all the sudden expenses, to take care of the taxes. Great. That's fantastic. But instead of focusing on your money and finding your satisfaction and your calmness and your assurance in the money, focus on the tough times that God has allowed you. You're not listening to me. I lost you. Are you back? Focus on the tough times that God has allowed in your life, the tough people God has allowed in your life, the tough things God has allowed in your life, so that He can work on your Christness, so that He can work on your faith. Because God doesn't care whether you're rich or poor, what He wants you is to be faithful. God wants you to be strong in your faith. So He will take the poor people through, he will take the poor man through trials and tribulations. But he will also take the rich person through trials and tribulations. You get this? Either way, don't focus on your money. 
Because if you focus on what you don't have, poor man, you're going to miss the richness that you have. Let the humble man rejoice in his exaltation. If you're rich and you focus on your money, you're going to miss the things that God has allowed so that you can look and behave and shine more like the Lord Jesus every day. So don't miss it. Don't miss the faith that God is working on in your life. Don't focus on the money. Why? Don't focus on the rich man. Why? Look at it. Verse 10. Because, and he's going to slam jam the rich guy. Okay? There's nothing wrong with riches. But there's a problem with focus. Look at verse 10. Because, circle as a. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's an analogy. It's a parallel here. As a flower of the field. You know there are two types of flowers. There's flowers in the garden. And there's flowers in the field. The flowers in the garden are very beautiful. They are nourished. They are, you know, codified. They are looked after. And they are part of the beautification and the aesthetics of your home, of your garden. He's not talking about the flower of the garden. He's talking about the flower of the field. You know, Kheti? Out there, in the middle of nowhere, where the, grass, where the, where the uh, cows are grazing. Suddenly in the morning, just for a short period of time, just early in the morning, when the dew is still shining off the morning sun, you see a beautiful flower come up. A little small little ones, they just come up. But as soon as the sun rises and the heat comes in, that flower fades like this. Like a flower of the field, he fades. In the heat of the sun, the rich man fades. In the heat of the sun, S-O-N, the rich man fades. So poor man, don't look at him because he's going to fade. Circle, he will pass away. He will pass away. He will fade away. Look at verse 11. For no sooner than the sun rises from the burning heat, than it withers the grass. So along with the grass around it, the flower fades. The flower falls. But I want you to spend two seconds on this second line over here. I find it very interesting. It says, and he adds, its beautiful appearance. It's beautiful. God, seriously, you would allow a flower with beautiful appearance for three seconds? Yeah, because that's what it was meant for being, meant to be. That's what it was meant for. The beautiful flower of the field, for a moment it's beautiful. You take a morning shot. The photo photographer goes early in the morning to get those shots. Yeah, by midday it's gone. And its beautiful appearance perishes. A rich man with his riches is like the flower of the field. All his good looks, all of his branded clothes, all of his branded cars, all of the aesthetics with which he has used his riches to make himself look good will perish. You buy a new car, you're so proud of the new car. Three years later, it is not a new car. Three years later, your neighbor buys a new car. And he parks it next to yours. And now you are looking at your new car, which is now an old car. Because of the new car that is standing next to your old car. And HDFC steps forward and says, easy EMIs. Easy EMIs. So you can feel new again. Let's keep feeling new. Let's go for the next new thing. Let's go for them. Because it fades. It fades. Rich man, it fades. Do you know how many of you are rich? All of you. 
Are you going to have lunch? Are you going to have dinner? Tomorrow are you going to have breakfast? Lunch? You're rich. You're richer. You're in the, first, you're in the top 20% of the world. Be careful. Be careful. So we keep our mind off money. We must also keep our mind off sin. Sin is the other thing that warps our focus. How? How do we do that? Number two, we, mo we are motivated to win over temptation when we know what's coming ahead. Write that down. We are motivated to win over temptation when we know what's coming ahead. God is so good. God is so good. He sets things up for us so that we know what's coming and it allows us to give us that strength. Yeah? Verse 12. Jump in with me with verse 12. Blessed is the man, happy is the man, joyful is the man who does what? Who endures temptation. He endures temptation. You know what endure means? You know what endure means? Okay. For those of you who try to fast, you try to fast. Okay, for, for, for some of you that's, uh, uh, you know, it's against your faith and all to fast. I understand that, but uh, with no offense to any of those. For those of you who try, try to fast, we are taught that hunger will come. Okay, and you ride it out. You ride it out. You will hear the Delhi Philharmonic Orchestra. <laughs> yeah, and you just ride it out. Just wait. Five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, and then it's gone. Amen. That's the only time I'm going to say amen with a question mark. <laughs> you just write it out. Now temptation comes. For a period of time you're tempted, like hunger. And then like hunger, temptation also goes away. If you're not interested. If you're not interested, the temptation also will go away. Like a sales guy on the red, at the red light. If you're not interested, they'll go away. Temptation will come. Just write it out. Endure it. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Why? For when he has been approved, when he has passed the test, when he has stood his ground, when he has maintained a backbone, what will God do for him? He will receive a crown of life. A crown of life. Obviously not now, but in heaven, God's going to give you a crown of life. The two words right there need to have deep meaning for you. When you say it's for life, it means it's going to last forever. It's not a crown that fades. Correct? Okay. When you say crown, think king, not beauty pageant. Okay? So you stand up over there with all your drapes and everything and they give you a tiara. No, that's, that's, that's not the picture here. We're talking about the crowning of a king. We're talking about the crowning of a king. When authority is given to you, what you have worked hard for, what you've been found faithful to do, God will give you that authority and he will give you a crown of life. What is the crown of life? Listen carefully. The crown of life is public recognition for private victories. Public recognition for private victories. Most of your temptations, you didn't go tell everybody, you know what, today I was tempted with sex. You don't go tell the whole world that, right? You don't tell the whole world, you know, this one, today I was tempted, I saw that guy's thousand rupees standing on the, on, the, on the table there, I thought I'd just take it, but then I would, you don't go tell everybody. It is a private victory. It's in your own private world. It's, much of it is in your own mind and heart, and you win there. You win there. And those private victories will be publicly rewarded. The crown of life is God saying to everybody, he's stuck in there with me. 
He hung in there with me. He deserves my attention and my glory. Okay, here's the problem. You ready for this? How many of you have seen a crown of life? Yeah? Do you know anybody who's had a crown of life? Has it been advertised? You don't know what it is. So here you are, temptation right in front of you. She looks good. It looks good. Situation looks good. The whole world is saying, go for it. Go for it. You deserve happiness. You deserve, you deserve it. Go for it. This is your chance. And everything around you, and you're supposed to say no to that? Yeah, for what? Crown of life? Now I'm in a crown, they're going to life, they're, uh, crown of life? It's too far away. Temptation's right here. Crown of life. Are you working with me? Yes. Crown of life too far away. Okay? And we then begin to feel, what if I stand my ground, I fight temptation, I say no. I stand my ground, I fight my temptation, I say no. I stand my ground, I fight my temptation, I say no. And I get to heaven and the crown of life is one small useless little thing that is not worth it. It's just not worth having given up all that. Some voice inside you says, God's cheating you. Crown of life isn't all that it's cracked up to be. It's not as shiny as it's supposed to be. And you have to give up all of this for crown of life? Some voice? Sound familiar? Garden of Eden? Serpent came? He's robbing you? Don't trust him. And ever since, she's not been trusting him. So leave the crown of life alone. I understand you don't think that's that great for now. Let me go to the real motivation, James says. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Ah, that is something we're a lot more familiar with. That's from my world. Love makes the world go round. Yeah? Love changes everything. I do anything for love. Okay? For love, I'll change my music style. I'll change my deodorant. I'll change my dressing style. I will, I will show up. I will become punctual. I will do all sorts of things that are out of my character. Are you getting this? I will do all sorts that are out of character just so that that person will want to be with me. I will get rid of anything in my life that might stop me or hinder that person from wanting to be with me. Out of my sheer love for that person, I will say no to whatever if she doesn't want to be, he doesn't want to be with me. That's love. Right? So James hits you <laughs> right there. Heartstrings. He hits you. He says a crown of life that he's going to give to those who love him. So even the crown of life is only going to be trusted if there is love. Because if there's no trust, there is no love. There's no love, there's no trust. So it boils down to essentially, do you love God enough? Do you love God enough? What are we talking about? The motivation to say no to win over temptation. Do you love God enough to not allow anything in your life that would hinder him from wanting, wanting to hang out with you? Do you love his company enough? Do you love his promises enough? Do you love his proximity enough? Do you love him enough? That you're willing to let go, change, do whatever is required in order for him to hang out with you. Because God is a holy God. God does not handle sin. God does not 
come into an area where sin abounds. God does not hang out with sin. God does not hang out with sinners. God wants holiness. So he says, keep your mind off sin. Keep your mind off sin. <coughs> Write down this, number three. We are protected from giving in to temptation when we know from where it's coming. We are protected from giving in to temptation. Here's more encouragement. Here's more encouragement. Not only will he give you a crown of life, not only has he promised that to his loved ones, but he tells you where it's coming from so you can fight the battle correctly. We are protected from giving in to temptation when we know where it's coming from. Your faith is not shipwrecked. Hey, what happened? How could this happen to me? Oh, all that. You should know where temptation comes from. Today, are you ready to learn where temptation comes from? I'm going to teach you. I'm going to show it to you. And it's going to hurt. Number three. We are protected from giving in to temptation when we know where from where it's coming look at verse 13 let no one say let no one say when he is tempted i am tempted by god okay we're going to go into a little theology now why why should you not say that for god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he himself tempt anyone so evil cannot tempt god and god cannot tempt anybody with evil i'm going to take this deeper and spend the entire home group time studying on the holiness of God. We're going to talk about the holiness of God. And how not only that God cannot sin. But sin itself is an aberration to God and his character. So God will never tempt you to do. So we know that God is not the one tempting us. Okay. Huh. I know it's not God. It must be devil. Because all of us talk about the devil like we know him like. <laughs> right. No it's not the devil either. It's not the devil either. Let me explain why. Look at this verse. God cannot be tempted by, him, by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So where does my temptation come from? Look at verse 14. Please look at the screen. Verse 14. But each one. Okay? There's God. Does he tempt? No. Who's the other one? Each one. It's you. It's you. You tempt you. <laughs> Swallow it. You tempt you. You are your biggest tempter. You are walking around being tempted and you are the one tempting. Okay, let's break this down. But each one is tempted when he does these three things. Number one, when he is, say it, when he is drawn away. Let's start there. Because when you're with the pack, you're safe. When you're with the sheep, with the fold, you're safe. But the fox always goes after the one who is all alone. So when you go out of fellowship, when you go out of discipline, when you go out on your own and you don't have any defenses, you're not guarded by spiritual family, spiritual relationships, spiritual accountability. When you step out of that and you think you can do it on your own, that's when you are drawn away. Like a carrot at the end of a stick. Like a wicked man taking a child with a piece of sweet, saying, come bit up, come, come. And, and you lure the kid away he hasn't done anything wrong yet you get this he hasn't done anything wrong yet he's just drawing the kid away and you think let me just go off a little bit just to check the scene just to check the scenario how things are out there because i don't know what it's like i haven't explored this other area perhaps i and you are drawn 
away. Rule number one, never be drawn away. It's the scariest thing. It's the most dangerous thing. The next thing is when he's drawn away, what draws him away? What's the sweet? What's the carrot at the end of the stick? His own. Keyword own. His own desires. His own desires. And then he's enticed by that. Because what do you value the most? What is most appealing to you? What do you love the most? What, what, gets, what is most relevant to you? Your desires. Not anybody else's. Not anybody else's. It's your desires. You need it. You desire it. You want it. That's what advertisement is all about. You know the whole world of advertisement? It's to create a need. Okay? You need black toothpaste. You know, white toothpaste is done. All two billion of us, we don't need white toothpaste anymore. Okay? Now we need black toothpaste because your teeth, brother, you don't know what's coming. You brush with this, you light up. Okay, you need black toothpaste. And suddenly this guy is thinking, my smile's no good. I, I, I need black toothpaste. And he has a desire. And only when he has a desire will the product sell. Are you with me? So the advertisement is not wrong. And it has no grip until he chooses to desire it. The moment he desires it, does temptation have any power over him? Then he gives in. I want to see how James breaks this down. So what do we have so far? But each one is tempted. When he is drawn away. Come on people. Each one is tempted. When he is drawn away. By his own desires. And enticed. Okay. Break it down even further. Then this is what happens. This is what happens. Circle desire and circle sin. Desire is not sin. Do you have bad desires? Desires for wrong things? Desire for ungodly things? Yes, but desire is not sin. Okay? But hold your horses. Hang on. Desire, when it is conceived, when desire has... Everybody know what conceived means? Yes? Look at me. It comes into being. It's born. It's not born, born. But it is conceived. It's not out yet. But it is there. It has the potential to be out. But it is there. So a baby stays in the womb forever. It's unhealthy. When conception happens, the baby's coming. You go buy the blue stuff. Blue shoes, blue... Everything, you go buy it. Yeah? Look at what James says. When desire has conceived, what does it do? Come on, you got it in English. When it, desire has conceived, what does it do? It gives birth. Because whatever is conceived gives birth. Whatever conceived is going to come out. Where do you think it was going to go? Are you getting this argument? If a baby is conceived, where do you think it's going to go? So once a desire has conceived, it gives birth. Gives birth to what? Gives birth to sin. Okay? And sin is still sin, but it is in the tummy. Right? And sin, when it is fully grown, doctor, baby's not growing. Doctor, baby, baby's not growing. Doctor, doctor, baby's not growing. Okay. When sin is fully grown, it brings forth, say it, death. 
Love conceives and brings forth life. Sin conceives and brings forth death. So don't conceive it. Don't conceive it. Shoot it at the desire level. At the desire level. Abort, 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 abort. At the desire level. When does this happen? Every quiet time. Every Sunday morning, every morning when you are in your, in, in, in your quiet time, when you are in devotions with God. Lord, anything getting happening in there? Abort, 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 abort. Because if it never conceives, it's never going to give birth. So you don't fight temptation when the baby is crowning. There's a lot of people that don't know what. <laughs> you'll know. You'll know. Sin when it is fully. Let me give you one more before you go. I'm getting signs from the back of the hall saying, shut up. <laughs> Number four. Number four. James says there's one more thing. There's one more thing. When we are misguided, we are misguided when we believe that some people are favored and others are not. What are we talking about? We're talking about the things that rob our joy, the things that f- take our focus off, warp our focus. Okay? And one more thing that warps our focus, not just riches, money, not just sin, one more thing that warps our focus is favor. Favor. We are misguided when we believe some are favored and others are not. Give me three minutes to finish this. We are misguided when we believe some are favored and some are not. Where do you fit? Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are always. Uh, everybody else is getting I'm not getting it. Why did I, why not get it? I also want to get it. Look at what the, what the scripture says. Do not be deceived, verse 16. There's your misguided right there. Okay, deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. I like the way James passed this little bit. Uh, verse 17. Every good, circle good gift. And every perfect gift, circle perfect. Those are two attributes of God. God is good and God is perfect. So what's going to come from God is going to be good and perfect. So there's a picture right there. But I'm going to give you a second picture, James says. I'm going to give you a picture of light. Okay? He says every good and perfect gift comes from above. Okay? It comes from one good God, goes to all people equally. Look at what he does. He comes down from the father of lights. The father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Sounds poetic, but all I want you to do is circle light and circle shadow, and you know what I'm talking about. Circle light and circle shadow, and you know what I'm talking about. Okay, where there's a shadow, where there's a light, there's a shadow. Where there's a shadow, there's a light. But God's light, He is the Father of lights, and when He shines, He shines on everybody and kills all the shadows. He kills all the shadows. There is no shadow. That means there is no partiality. There is no partiality. So what God has given you, listen brothers, sisters, friends, what God has given you, He has given you part, fairly. What God gives others, He has given them fairly. And you account to God for what He has given you. There is nothing that other people have that you should have had. There's nothing that other people have that you can have. 
What you have is what God has given. And if you don't believe in the goodness of God and the perfection of God, your joy is going to be uh, lost because your faith is going to be warped because you think that God is being partial. And nothing kills our joy more. Believers, nothing kills our joy more when we focus, we rehearse, we meditate on what other people's blessings are and what we have not been given. So there's got to be a business you need to do with God today. <clears throat> there's got to be a business you need to do with God today. Maybe your focus has been on money. Maybe your focus has been on lack of money and that's robbed your joy. You need to say sorry. You need to get right with God today. Maybe your focus has been on a certain sin and that sin has been cooking and that sin has been, uh, has been developed, it's conceived and it's working its way through. God can save you. God can kill it. God can, God can save you. God can give you freedom from that. He can set you free from that. Not every desire has to become a sin. Are you with me? Not every desire has to become a sin. Desire when conceived gives birth. And you understand that. You say, Lord, I have allowed this to be conceived in my life. I've allowed that to be conceived. Maybe you need to do business with God. Maybe you are living with constantly comparing with others. Constant and you're never happy because you're always, your attention seems to just go to that one thing that that person or that group or that people or that family member has that you should have got. It was yours. Or why haven't you gotten yours when they have already got theirs? And you think and you think and you think and you lie and you rot and you get anxious, bitter. I don't know what your business is with God right now, but with every eye closed and every head bowed, do your business with God. Leave here clean. Leave here light. Leave here forgiven. Because the good news is, God is working on you. God is forgiving you. God is the one doing something life-giving in you. If desire gives birth, then Lord, I desire mercy. Lord, I desire righteousness. Lord, I desire ministry, fruit bearing from my life. Come on, let's put some real desires in there. This is your true joy. The joy of living for His purposes. Focus on that. I thank you, Lord, for what you have spoken to us today. People who have come to church for the first time have understood parts of what you are saying today. People who have been coming for years have heard new things that they've never heard before. Lord, you, when you speak, when you speak, you always have something to say to each of us. You cross language barriers. You cross cultural barriers. Even if we're tired, you cross that barrier because the Spirit is always really hungry for you. In the name of Jesus, I pray your love on people who are feeling alone or have, feeling, have been jilted this past week. They feel abandoned this past week. Something has happened this past week that they feel that they don't, they're not deserving of love. Oh God, would you send them home with your arms wrapped around them 
and their brain filled with the picture of the cross so they know how much they loved. There are some here, Lord, with mental illness. Their mind is not working for them. They can't tell anybody. They feel, they feel stigmatized. They feel humiliated. They're not able to control their emotions or control their thoughts, control their fears. They're not able to juggle, juggle it right. They're not able, oh God, it's just an illness. I pray for healing. It's just an illness. I pray for healing. I pray for marriages that are, have taken a beating this past week because of lack of communication, misunderstandings. Oh God, I pray for love to fill homes this week. Lord, I pray that everyone here would leave here confident that here in this place there is no judgment. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But we are under your grace and that you are loved and accepted and wanted here in this family. Whichever family, whichever other person has not dealt with you the way you expected or needed, this family loves you. Lord, would they go home with that assurance. Give us the strength to overcome our temptations. Overcome our weaknesses. Focus our attention on the Lord Jesus. The beginning and the ending of our faith. The author and finisher. Give us the ability to trust that you are a good God. And that the crown of life is waiting if we endure. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God the Father. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with each and every one of us. This coming week and even forevermore. I love you. I love you deeply. God bless you. Have a great week with God. You know my number. You know my email address. Stay connected. We'll see you next week.